Chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says. From among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, well, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on this teaching, on this study, on this section of Scripture. Even as Moses taught, we're picking up on these things, and I pray you'll give us understanding and sensitivity and Father, by the end of this, I pray the only fear that we will be left with is the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. He was creating quite a stir in and around Jerusalem, this prophet in the desert. Everyone was going out to see him. This old school, straight shooting, camel hair styling, leather belt wearing, locust eating, honey dripping, water baptizing prophet. And you know his name. Over in the gospel according to John, we learn of John the Baptist. And listen to this, John chapter 1. In fact, turning your Bibles to John, you're going to want to follow me here on this. There are several passages I want to take you to. This is one of them. So prepare to get your fingers in gear. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. You Bible students know that. John chapter 1, verse 19. Catch up to me, I'm going to start reading. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the Jewish leaders heard about this guy. This guy was all the rage. He was all the buzz. And so they sent out their Bible answer men, guys who were learned in the Scriptures to see, is this guy legit? What is going on with this prophet in the desert? These guys knew their Bible. They said, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I, I am not the Christ. It's not me. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they're referring to Deuteronomy 18. Are you the prophet? No. And they said to him, well, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. And they asked him, and, and, well, and where am I? And, and they, they had been sent from the Pharisees, verse 24, verse 25. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Are you the prophet? You see, they remembered. Are you Elijah? The last word spoken by the last prophet. 400 years earlier, Malachi mentioned the coming of Elijah. Are you Elijah? No, no, no. Are you the prophet of whom Moses spoke? No. Are you the Christ? No. Who are you? And then there was Philip. Philip comes along. And he believed, as many did at that time among the Jewish people, that the prophet would be more than a prophet, more than a forerunner or a trailblazer, that the prophet would actually be the Christ. They, they equated the two. They already were thinking that way, that the prophet would be Messiah himself. How do you know? Look over at verse 45 in John chapter 1. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. When did Moses ever talk about Jesus in the law? Deuteronomy 18. The prophet, one like me. And so Philip recognizes this, sees in Jesus that, that he is the prophet. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. But Moses spoke of the prophet, Deuteronomy 18, 15. Jesus is the prophet. Philip recognized that. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to it later on. But then early in his ministry in the Galilee, the people recognized this as well. Jesus catered this massive fish and chips seaside buffet. And in John 6, John chapter 6, verse 14, so flip over there. After the sign, after everyone was fed, after they gathered up all the leftovers, 12 baskets with frag fragments from the, from the barley loaves and the fish, verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The people knew, and they recognized the sign. Why? Because this prophet was going to be like Moses. What did Moses do? Manna. And now this prophet, now this Jesus provides bread miraculously for 5,000 men, not to mention wives and children. So they saw the prophet. It, this is the prophet. They're thinking the prophet. After that, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem covertly because it was not yet his time. And I love Jesus' style because he kind of quietly goes up. But then on the last day of the feast, John chapter 7, verse 37, move on over to there. On the last day, it's like Jesus just couldn't hold it in anymore. And he stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John tells us, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this is certainly the prophet. Got to be the prophet. None other than the prophet would say these things. What I'm getting at here is the prophet was a big deal. It was understood among the Jewish people, first century, that this prophet foretold by Moses would change everything. Everything would be different now. And he had been so long expected. It had been 400 years. I'm just going to move back. It had been 400 years since God had spoken through Malachi, as I said. And I'm not sure if this is going to be any better. I, every year. Every year. And you know what I say every year? I say every year. <laughs> and we talk about getting blinds up there and then the sun goes away and we don't need them until the next year. All right. Malachi prophesied and then seemingly silence. Now, God was still at work, I believe. And, I, and there are things we could talk about another time during the 400 years that the Lord did for his people. But there wasn't a voice of a prophet. Suddenly, here's John the Baptist, and he is what we would call the last of the Old Testament prophets the last pre-Messiah prophet, John the Baptist. But now there's Jesus, and they're looking at him, and they're saying, this guy must be the prophet. John the Baptist said, I am not the prophet. I'm just a forerunner. And there had never been, even for Malachi 400 years ago, and all of what we would call the minor prophets, just because their books are, for the most part, shorter, and for prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there had never been a prophet like Moses. In Israel, to this day, the Jewish people will, say, will tell you the greatest prophet in our history is Moses. Well, what about Elijah? Elijah was great. But to the Jewish mind, Moses even surpassed Elijah. In the final words of Deuteronomy, probably penned by Joshua himself, the final words of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 say, Since that time no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land. And for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. There was no prophet like Moses. And yet God said, Deuteronomy 18, 15, 
Or Moses speaking here, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Like me, Moses says. Like Moses, the Lord says, like you, down in verse 18. And perhaps like Moses and yet even greater. So they anticipated and they awaited this coming prophet. Who is he? What's he going to be like? And what's he going to do? And through all that anticipating and all that waiting, none could fully comprehend who he really would be. That was the big unveil. That was the big reality. They just didn't know. Now, before we get to the prophet today, I want to flip the order of Moses' teaching, if, if I may. Because there are two parts to this section, and I want to deal with the second part first, and then we'll go back to the first part. But we're going to call the second part, part one, and the first part, part two. Are you with me? Okay. So, part one will be verses 20 through 22, and we're going to deal with the presumptuous prophet. And then part two, we'll go back, verses 15 through 19, where we'll talk about the promised prophet. So part one, but it's in the second half, the presumptuous prophet. Look at verse 20. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now I'm going to talk with our shepherds about whether or not we should institute this policy. Man, it's pertinent today, isn't it? How often do you hear someone say, God said? The Lord told me. The Lord spoke to me and said. And it's, it's actually very common in our Christian language, but it's no longer limited to the church. It is pertinent in the world, as I said earlier, this gullible world as false prophets arise. All kinds of people saying, I have the answer. God spoke to me and said, we all are caught by prophecy. We're interested in and intrigued in future knowledge. Uh, how many of you checked the weather app over the weekend? Yeah, see? You want prophecy. <laughs> like the weather's going to change? Okay, let me give you the weather for the entire fall. It's going to be partly cloudy and rainsome. <laughs> Why are we looking at the app? But we want the scoop. We want to know what's coming. We want to know what's, what's happening. Breaking news. Da-da! You know, every one of the news channels has their sound that goes with breaking news. And they do it all the time now. It's not breaking news. It's just news. They just want to get your attention. Da-da! Breaking news. Today's weather will be cloudy. You know, it's not breaking news. People want insider info. Business, in relationships. We also call that gossip. But we want to know what's going on. Be, be, we want some insight. Because influence increases with insight. Those who have some special knowledge, some awareness, some insight on things. I remember years ago going to a conference actually in Jerusalem with Joel Rosenberg. And I was so excited to hear what Joel Rosenberg had to say. And, and they had several other speakers that were there for that conference. And as they spoke, what was really getting me excited was hearing about things that I didn't know, things that they had learned, talking about prophetic words. And we do prophecy updates here, and everybody wants to hear them because we want to know what's up. And, I, and the Bible tells us. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. But if influence increases with insight, and this is the age of the influencer, a lot of people are claiming insight. Here's the question. Where does the insight come from? That, that's A number one. If, if you can say, I've heard from God, that is influential. If I sit up here and tell you, the Lord spoke to me and he said, fill in the blank, that's powerful. And if I can prove it by confirmation, if I can show you how what I heard and what he said has come to pass, that's influential. But Jesus said many false prophets will arise and mislead many, Matthew 24, 11. 
John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, that's not just about testing the spirits in the spirit realm. That's about testing the spirits of your fellow men and women who claim to know something. If I say anything from this position, especially test it, test my spirit. Test the spirit of anyone who's teaching or claiming something, some knowledge of God. How many Christian leaders prophesied and declared President Trump would regain his presidency? Some of you told me, yeah, but so-and-so said, I mean, I heard the prophecy. He is going to, and we're not talking about 2024. There were Christian leaders who prophesied President Trump would regain his presidency in 2021. And how quickly did they shift gears and say, oh, what I meant to say was at the next election. But that's not what you said. And according to this standard, that would be a false prophet. If the thing which they prophesied does not come to pass, that is not from me, says the Lord. It's very simple. If they say it and it comes true, there may be something there. Even then, there's a potential for coincidence. They say there's a, there's a you know, uh, actually coincidences of like Nostradamus. People think, oh, what a prophet. Yeah, he, he had some, some predictions that were interesting, some that, that seemingly came true. But you know, even with Nostradamus, it was like I don't know, 30, 40% of what he said would happen happened. Flip that around. 60 to 70% of what he said is going to happen did not happen. That false prophet. It's not from God. It's at best presumptuous. And here's the warning of presumption. Again, if I can say God said, that overrides everything. Puts me in the driver's seat. Man, talk about increasing your influence. God said, listen, pay attention. And we use that language in the church a lot today Informed, by the way, by faith. So if you're, if you're more to the side of, I believe the Lord speaks today, which, by the way, that's where I live. I absolutely believe the Lord speaks to us today. I absolutely believe the Lord has prophets in the world today. I absolutely believe that the Lord speaks to people and has spoken in our fellowship. I believe he's spoken to me. And I've shared that with you in the past. So it's not, I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing. I'm just saying, let's be sure. Let's just not be so comfortable with the language of Christianity that we forget what we're really saying when we say, the Lord told me. Man, you better be sure the Lord told you. If you're not sure, then say, I think I'm hearing this. Or, or I'm pretty sure the Lord said this, but I, I love what, what our brother Les says all the time. The Lord told me this, but test it. Test it out. You be sure it is the Lord. We say, God said. We say, the Lord has a word for you. And some will tone it down and say, well, God has impressed something upon me. Or he seems to be indicating. I love what Peter and John said, Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I think that's legit with Christians too. I can't not share if I've heard from God. I have to share that. Just know it's him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John said, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the issue in the church. We have those who say, God speaks today. I'm there. And we have those who say, that was just for then. That, that, all that prophecy any prophecy beyond the written word itself ended or ceased with the apostles. That's called cessationism. He no longer speaks like he did in the first century. He had to because we've got to get the church going. But then after that, after the last of the apostles, God stopped talking and we have his word. So I, I was raised in that tradition. I've heard too much to think that way. But again, that can be a very subjective thing. So, so what do we do with it? It's certainly a safer bet to say God no longer speaks out loud, isn't it? Uh, safer. 
Maybe it's better to believe that prophecy has stopped so we don't get ourselves into any trouble. We can hole up in our churches and just be safe and not risk that some nutcase like Pastor Rick is going to come in here and start telling us stuff. Maybe let's just be safe. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters. Nothing in Scripture says that prophecy has ceased. You can't find that in the Bible. And I know what someone would say because I've heard the argument. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And they say the perfect is the Bible, the complete set of the Scriptures. And because the complete Bible is here, prophecy imperfect is is done away. We don't need it anymore. The problem with that is prophecy, A, is not imperfect if it's from the Lord, but B, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 makes it absolutely clear when Paul says when the perfect comes, the perfect is the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. When the kingdom comes, then the imperfect will be done away. Saying what? Saying we don't need prophecy when Jesus is here. We won't need the prophetic word. We'll have the Son of God ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. What do you need prophecy for? The perfect will be here. And when the perfect comes, when the kingdom comes, when the Son brings the kingdom, prophecy is irrelevant. It's no longer needed. Besides, let me ask you this. Regardless of where your tradition is or what you have believed before or even what you think this morning about prophecy, don't you want to hear Jesus I mean, can you be honest with yourself and just say, I would love to hear his voice. I'd like to be in tune with him speaking. And would we risk unfamiliarity with the very voice that's going to call us home? To hear a voice say, come up here and go, who's that? I want to be among those who go, come in Jesus, (laughs) because I know his voice. I believe prophecy is absolutely still for today. However, we need to be wise with that and not be flippant and just right and left say, God said, God said, God said, when he may or may not have said. We say God said when we know God said. Hearing God's voice, it is never presumptuous. So, and I, every now and then I have to retune my own thinking because we can get so comfortable, again, in our Christian language that we just start talking as if we've just heard from the Lord. Well, maybe we haven't. Or maybe what we've heard is, is his word has directed us and we said, yeah, that's God. Okay, that's fair enough. But we need to think about what we're saying and not be, again, presumptuous. Hearing God is never presumptuous. It is always humbling. And it is always fearful. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Psalm 29. This is an awesome, awesome psalm. It's called the Psalm of the Seven Thunders. And it's called that because... The Lord thunders seven times in the psalm. Verse 1, Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord, there's your first thunder, is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. By the way, this is speaking pre-flood when the waters were above the earth. And he was above that. Says verse four, the second thunder, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The third thunder, the voice of the Lord is majestic. The fourth thunder, verse five, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Zerion like a young wild ox. The fifth thunder, verse seven, the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. That's lightning It's being talked about there. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And then the seventh thunder, verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve, strips the forest bare, and in his temple everything says glory. The Lord 
sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Seven thunders. The voice of the Lord seven times in the psalm. And so because of that, the seven thunders became a euphemism for the voice of God. The awesome, powerful, amazing, remarkable voice of God. And John refers to that in Revelation chapter 10, verse 3. The seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. And a Jewish person hearing that, familiar with Psalm 29, would say, the seven peals of thunder is the voice of God. That's God speaking. You ever shudder at a thunder roll when the thunder cracks and, and pops and shakes? You know, you're just having a normal evening at home. Maybe you're watching TV. Maybe you're sitting around the table at dinner time, and all of a sudden you hear the... And it just rolls in the background. You kind of go, Whoo. I love that. I remember when we first moved out to Virginia, we lived out there for three years, and man, having grown up in California where thunder was like pretty wimpy, go to Virginia and the whole world shook, and I was like, that's so cool. You know, the kids would come in crying. Ah! The rolling thunder, it is such an apt description for the voice of God because the voice of God terrified the people. Look back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 16. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Why? This is according, verse 16, to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. It's too much. His voice booms too loudly. It shakes me overwhelmingly. I, I, I can't hear the voice. Moses, you go listen to God. And that's why the Lord said, okay, they've spoken well. And you can almost hear the Lord saying in this, when he says, I will raise up a prophet like you, Moses, you can almost hear the Lord saying, I'm going to give you my voice with a gentler intonation. At Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the thunder was overwhelming. It was too much. They just couldn't hear it. It so terrified them. So God says, okay, I have an answer for you. Jesus came and spoke gently. He said, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Listen to me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Not a seven thunder, but just Jesus, the voice of a shepherd. And the sheep can hear that and not be terrified. But note this, when he says, my sheep hear my voice, what he is implying there is my sheep hear what I say, not what they presume for me to say. They hear my voice. What he says, sheep don't put words into the shepherd's mouth. And we're all too loose with that. I think in the church today, at least in some areas of the church, it's just too easy to say God said when God may not have said. It's presumptuous. Let's be clear about this. We don't want to be presumptuous prophets. We want to be sensitive in prophecy. We want to be listening in prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Just test it. Don't throw it out because someone says the Lord, the Lord said, ah, the Lord doesn't speak. Wait a minute. Don't miss it. He may very well have, but test it out. Several weeks back, we talked about dreamers. You know, if you remember that teaching, I gave you a simple two-question test as to the legitimacy of the dream or the dreamer, and the two-question test was, does the dreamer lead you to or away from Jesus? And secondly, do the dreams summon obedience to God's word or take you off on a tangent? 
And you can apply those exact same two things to the voice of prophecy. Does the prophet lead you to or away from Jesus? Does the prophet lead you to himself or herself rather than to Jesus Christ? That's important. Do the dreams summon obedience to God's word or do the dreams or does the prophet suggest something that may not have anything to do with God's word? Remember what the Bible says, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So all Bible prophecy and all spoken prophecy today should point us to and glorify Jesus. Listen to the prophecy standard again, verse 20. The prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or which... He speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. The most immediate test of integrity of prophecy is the source. So God says, is it from me or not? Or is it in the name of some other God? Note that he said that. It's not just something which I have not commanded, but which he speaks in the name of other gods. Is it from Yahweh? Or is it in the name of Baal? or Molech, or Allah, or Gaia, or Vishnu, or Brahma. I mean, you could go on and on and list the gods that people claim to have heard, claim to have prophecy from, and immediately, if it is not Yahweh, as revealed in his word, it is not from any god, because the other gods are false gods. It doesn't matter how accurate or coincidental the prophecy if the source is not God himself. And by the way, the devil can pull off some well-informed predictions and guesses from time to time. He's pretty good at that. He's been at it for 6,000 years. Okay, but what about the prophet who actually says Yahweh spoke? This is from God. Listen, to you and to me, the Lord God seriously and severely puts the presumptuous prophet on notice. And we need to take, it's not just, oh, it's Old Testament. Listen, he puts prophecy on notice, the presumptuous prophet in particular. The word presumptuously, and you might want to jot this down, the word presumptuously in the Hebrew is yazid. And yazid means proudly. It means with insolence. It means to scheme. It means to seethe. So to seethe proudly with this prophetic word that I have been given, and you need to get this, the root word of yazid, yazid is the verb. The root word is zud, and zud literally means to cook or to boil. So what we're talking about, it's like, it's like a, pa a pot of macaroni and cheese boiling over on the stove. Think of it that way. The presumptuous prophet is one that's just boiling over in his own pride and arrogance, boiling over because he's got, and he, and he just can't help himself. He's got to say it. He's got to tell you. And he's pretty proud that he got this word. Presumptuous prophet cannot keep it in. The words come boiling over, but they boil over from inside themselves. It's not a word given by God. It's a bunch of noodles and cheese cooked up by the phony or the self-deluded prophet. Now, you might still say, but how do we really know? Because some of that macaroni and cheese can taste pretty good, especially if it's something you want to hear. And there were a lot of Christians who wanted to hear that Donald Trump was going to regain the presidency and was not going to lose the election. So it was tasty, a tasty word that was thrown out there. How do we know if it's legit? First of all, there's no nutritional value to macaroni and cheese. I just want you to be aware of that. <laughs> None at all. And the presumptuous prophet is speaking something with no nutritional value spiritually. Ultimately, it's empty words. Ultimately, it doesn't make or break the kingdom or what God is up to, what God is doing. God's prophetic word, and let me get specific, is 100% verifiable. If prophecy comes, it is absolutely verifiable and will always be absolutely true. And there are two ways that we can verify it. And the first way is very simply the word fulfilled, or, or sorry, the word written. The second way is the word fulfilled. The word written. 
How can I verify something as a word from God? Test it by the word of God. Does it align? Is it something God has already spoken? Then right on, verifiable. It's right here in the word. Look it up, which is why I ask you to have Bibles open. And it's why I ask you to follow with me. Hey, turn to Psalm 29. Turn to John chapter 1. Stay with me in this because I want you to see it. It's verifiable in the word written and it is verifiable by the word itself fulfilled. Watch this, verse 21. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? And again, he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You know what that means? You dismiss him. You're not afraid of him. You don't listen to him. You don't offer him or her the same fearful respect and awe with which you hear God. If it's a false prophet, they got nothing on you. And they got nothing on Jesus either. Did you know that nearly a third of all Scripture in the Bible is prophecy? Almost a third. We're talking 2,500 prophecies in this word. And did you know that of the 2,500 prophecies or so, give or take a few, but it's right at 2,500, of all of those prophecies, some 2,000 have been fulfilled. You want to talk about legitimacy of, of, of the Bible as the word of God? Tell that to someone who's, who's saying, How do I, why would I believe the Bible is true? Well, 2,000 of the 2,500 prophecies have been spoken and fulfilled literally, and we can look at it in history. It's remarkable stuff. God declares 100% accuracy to his word. He leaves no room for error, zero. There's no ambiguity. There's no inaccuracy in the word of God. People have tried, they've claimed, they've tried to pick it apart and say there is, there isn't any. It is accurate in its givenness. <laughs> Chuck Missler, he said, we don't take prophecy seriously because it's in the Bible. We take the Bible seriously because of the track record of its prophecies. Why would we study this book and follow it and, and listen to it? It's not because it's our religious heritage. It's because it's true. Listen to this. Isaiah, and you can turn there if you want to, but Isaiah chapter 44, right about in the middle of your Bibles, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord... Now, when Isaiah said, thus says the Lord, he's a legitimate prophet. He could say that as much as he wanted because he was hearing directly. And there's proof of that in Isaiah, which I'll tell you in a second. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. And I remind you, Bible students, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus says the exact same thing. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There's only one Alpha and the Omega, and that's God the Father and Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. Ricky said there's only one. Exactly. That doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. <laughs> Who is like me, the Lord says. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. And let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. <laughs> I love how he says that. God says, I don't know any other. Is there any other? He's asking the people. Because if you're asking me, God says, nope, I haven't heard of any. I love how real he is in his language. Here's one of 2,000 examples of fulfilled prophecy. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 38 through 40, he laid out in those verses the exact location and the sequence of the destruction of Jerusalem's nine suburbs that exist today. Nine suburbs in Jerusalem... Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 31, verse 38 through 40, he mapped it out and he says, These, this is how Jerusalem will be rebuilt in the last days. Guess what? 
1948, when Israel became a nation again, you can track it in Jerusalem how these nine suburbs were built in the order and the sequence, and it is exactly what Jeremiah prophesied. That kind of thing is constant with the scriptures. Scientist Dr. Hugh Ross says the probability of that single prophecy happening by chance is one in 10 to the 18th power. One in 10 to the 18th power. It's 10 with 18 zeros. Who would buy that lottery ticket? I mean, that's crazy. One in 10 to the 18th power. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And so when Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, when he said, shall I bring to the point of delivery and not give birth? Can a nation be born in a day? Speaking of the nation of Israel, was he going to leave Israel destitute and without a land? No, he brought him back. He put him in the land. He did exactly as he promised he would do because God doesn't lie. Back in Deuteronomy 18.22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is not the thing which the Lord, or that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken He's not talking about prophecies that would take, by the way, thousands of years to fulfill. The Lord made good with his prophets in the short term. Now listen to this, get this. Here's an example, Isaiah. How did we know? How did the people know in Isaiah's lifetime that he was a legitimate prophet? Because Isaiah prophesied things that happened in his lifetime and they came true. Isaiah said something would happen and it happened. And they tested that, they were able to test that again and again during Hezekiah's reign, they knew if Isaiah says it, it's going to come true. They knew it must then be from the Lord. So it was immediate fulfillment, but it was also midterm fulfillment. Did you know that Isaiah named Cyrus, who would be the deliverer of, uh, of Judah from Babylon, who would decree that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, a, a, a king named Cyrus, 150 years before Cyrus was born? And we look back on this side of history and we say, yep, that's exactly what happened. Cyrus, yep, th there you go. Isaiah 44 and 45. And Isaiah also detailed the birth, life, death, and final rule and reign of the Messiah 750 years before Messiah. So, so Isaiah's prophecy was immediate. It was within 150 years, and it was 750 years down the line. And it was all legit. By the way, there are still some prophecies of Isaiah that have yet to be fulfilled. End times prophecies. Well, how do we know they're going to be fulfilled? Because every other one has been. Because all the others of the first coming of Jesus have been fulfilled literally. Daniel is another great example. Daniel was proven spot on with several immediate prophecies and interpretations of dreams. Right there in his lifetime so that even the, the non-believers looked at Daniel and said, that guy knows something. He's an influencer. In fact, I think Daniel was probably the first influencer. He knew what he was talking about. Call Daniel in. If something's confusing or we don't understand what's happening, call in Daniel. He knows. Why would they say that? Because everything he said came true. So when Daniel gave that amazing timeline of the coming of Messiah in Daniel chapter 9, you could trust it. Because Daniel's prophecies in the immediate were trustworthy as well. God says, if he speaks in my name and the thing does not come true, that's not from me. If he speaks in my name and it comes true, that, that's, that's from me. That's how I will prove to you that this guy is legitimate. God verified all of his prophets with 100% accuracy. And if a prophet stood up and was presumptuous, he was not to be listened to. One more quick marker of the proven versus the presumptuous prophet. Turning your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I got to get this in because this is part of the deal. I used to, um, while you're turning there, I used to have a perspective, and, I, and I've come to believe I was wrong. But the perspective was that there was Old Testament prophecy and then there's New Testament prophecy. And so prophecy, according to Old Testament standard, was, was foretelling. And prophecy, according to New Testament standard, was, as some have put it, forthtelling. 
So the New Testament prophet is more of an encourager, whereas the Old Testament prophet actually spoke what was coming in the future. I don't think we can break it down that simply. I believe, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine. We'll find out one way or another. But I believe that we can still receive prophetic words today that indicate what God's about to do. Again, testing it, being sure that it is biblical, that it's ground, grounded, that it's sound, and that it glorifies Jesus. That being said, again, that's just Rick's perspective. But 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, which really is knowing and listening to and it's speaking in God's word. It's hearing the good shepherd. And he says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So, by the way, right there, that, that indicates that the idea of speaking in tongues, which is another teaching for another time, has not ceased either. And there is a place and a purpose. And we can talk about that, again, at another date. But he says, don't desire that because no one understands. In your spirit, you speak mysteries. So speaking in tongues, prayer language, as some have called it, it's, it's a mysterious thing, and it really is... It's self-encouraging. And Paul says, man, if, if you want a gift, <laughs> go after prophecy, that you may prophesy. And then he explains, verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. He says edification, exhortation, consolation. These are things that you can see in a true prophet and someone who is truly speaking the words of God, edification. The word is oikodomain. Oikodomain, which means building up. The prophet is one who now in, in our age, in the church age, what is spoken builds up, doesn't tear down. Builds up. Exhortation is paraklesin, which is the same word used of the Holy Spirit, the helper. It means comfort by way of encouragement, comfort by way of help, coming alongside. You know that feeling? I'm, I'm looking at Jim right now, uh, partially because you're right there on the aisle, Jim. But I think about years and years ago, I, man, 17, eight, about 18 years ago, when Cheryl and I were moving, and we had this big U-Haul truck, and we actually got it stuck in the driveway because it was a really deep driveway, but that's another story. And that morning, we just figured it'd be me and Cheryl and the kids lugging the stuff out of this rental property and over to the house where we were going, and uh, Jim and Sandra just showed up. I have never forgotten that, and I never will. And that morning, they were, for me, paracalesin. They weren't prophets, but they came alongside, and it was comfort. It was encouragement. So that's the prophet who speaks comes alongside to encourage you. And we've had some of that that has gone on for Cheryl and I in the last three years. I mean, I, I, I don't want to name her, Larissa, because I don't want to embarrass her, but but there have been a lot of things where she's come quietly to me and said, I think the Lord is saying this. Stuff while we were in Ghana that made the difference that day, coming alongside to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Edification, exhortation, consolation, which is paramithian, and it means it's a comfort that is soothing. So one is a comfort that comes alongside to help. The other one is just a comfort, it's a comfort you feel. It soothes, it encourages. That, that's, that's, that's a godly prophet. And, and the difference, the polar opposite, is the prideful, self-promoting, presumptuous prophet. And the total opposite to that is the prophet, Jesus Christ. So part two, the promised prophet. Among the most compelling things, you can go back to Deuteronomy 18 now, among the most compelling things about Jesus and his claim to be God, and he left no dispute on that one. Jesus was absolutely clear that he came as God in the flesh. So he didn't leave us an option just to think he was a nice teacher or even a powerful prophet or a miracle worker. He said, I, I am, I and the Father are one, no question. But among the most compelling things of this claim is the fulfillment of prophecy in his earthly life, in his first coming, some 300 prophecies. Now listen to me on this. This is so cool. 300 prophecies 
And most of those were way beyond any human control. So it's not like he read the Hebrew Scriptures and started trying to fulfill them by some kind of forced effort. No, these were beyond his control. His exact Jewish family lineage was prophesied. How could he control that? When and where he would be born. The unusual circumstances surrounding his birth, and Matthew details that in Matthew 1 and 2, pointing back to the Hebrew prophecies that you just see them fulfill right and left. In the birth of Jesus, how could he have done that? Where his ministry would take place in all the world and what miracles even he would produce, sight for the blind, hearing for the deaf, walking for the lame. These things were prophesied ahead of time. He wasn't just pulling them out of a hat. It was prophesied that he would be rejected by his own people. It was prophesied how and for how much he would be betrayed prophesied how he would die, how he would be buried, and where, and even prophecies of his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. All of these things are part of the 300 prophecies literally and legitimately fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, now get this. The probability of one person fulfilling eight out of 300 prophecies, so if he just got eight of them right, the probability is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's just getting eight prophecies right. It starts to get bigger the more prophecies are fulfilled and the more you add them in. If you just go up to 48, and remember, Jesus fulfilled literally 300. So if you just say, what if he only fulfilled 48 of those prophecies? The probability of that happening by chance is one in 10 to the 157th power. You'd have to write a 10 and then write 157 zeros after that. And at that point, it just gets crazy. Why are you even writing more zeros? Haven't you gotten it yet? And that would only be 48 out of the 300. If every prophecy of his first coming was fulfilled literally, and it was, what does that say about the prophecies of his return? Can we count on these things to happen as spoken literally in the Scriptures? So I don't see why you would believe anything else. I don't see why you, would, why you would take, for example, the book of Revelation and turn it into a book of metaphor and allegory. When his entire first coming was literally fulfilled, I would assume the second coming would be the same. With Jesus, what I'm saying is there is zero presumption, no games, no errors, no coincidences, no guesswork. And watch this, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, they have spoken well. I'll raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will, well, stop right there. I'll raise up one like you. So, so the promised prophet must be like Moses. Consider a few things, and you could probably come up with many more. When Moses was born, Pharaoh tried to have him killed by killing all of the male children of Israel. What happened when Jesus was born? Same thing. Same exact thing. Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, quoting Jeremiah 31, verse 15, a voice was heard in Ramah, just outside of Jerusalem, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Jeremiah spoke that prophecy after it had already happened with Moses, although not in Ramah. But the murder of infants at the birth of Moses by the Pharaoh. And then Jeremiah indicates this is going to happen again. And when Jesus was born, we know historically that's exactly what happened. Moses Moses left the royal courts of Egypt so that he could be with his people Israel. Jesus left the royal courts of heaven that he might be with his people Israel. He was made like us in the world. Like Moses became like his people again, so did Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Moses Oh, Moses was the great intercessor of Israel, praying for the people, interceding for the people. Jesus interceded for his apostles and us, John chapter 17. He interceded for the thief, even right there on the cross, Luke 23, 43. And he is our great intercessor 
right now, which I just love. You know, we come here, we gather, we worship, we study the word together and we pray. You know what he's doing right now? He's praying. You know who he's praying for? You and me. That's amazing to me. Talk about comforting that Jesus right now is interceding on your behalf and mine. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 24 says, Jesus, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Moses, the interceder. Jesus, the interceder. Moses wasn't even recognized by Israel until he came to them in his second coming. That is when he returned to his people. Then he was recognized as their deliverer. Same with Jesus. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. They will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Jesus, the prophet like Moses. But he continues, he says, he, I will put my words, verse 18, in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. My words, God says, will be in the mouth of the prophet. What did Jesus say? John 12, 49, I did not speak on my own initiative. The Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Jesus, God in the flesh, still said, I will speak nothing other than that which the Father speaks. Now, part of that is because I and the Father are one. But even in the flesh, in his human bodily form, he spoke only the word of God. Well, you know Jesus is the word of God. John 14, 10, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Hey, Moses spoke the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, his very voice. He is the voice of God incarnate. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter one, verse one, listen. God, after he spoke long ago to the prophets, or to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. I'm gonna raise up a prophet like Moses, and I'm going to put my words in his mouth and he will only speak what I say. And Jesus fulfills that perfectly. Verse 19. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. What does that mean? It's not just about determining the legitimacy of a prophet or the message. What Moses is talking about through Jesus the prophet is eternity. This is what is at stake here. Jesus said in John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. Listen, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. You understand that Jesus, in position as the prophet, spoke a word. And the prophet Jesus speaks to you this morning. The prophet Jesus says to you, and he does so here and now. He says in John chapter 3, verse 16, I hope you know it well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now listen, for God, Jesus the prophet says, did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Guess what? You have just heard the word of the prophet and it is required of you. So catch 22 for a Sunday morning, word of them. You've heard the word. No excuses. No claiming ignorance. Just accepting 
his saving grace. And the question I leave you with this morning is what will you do with the prophetic word? Thank you.